Hi, I'm David Henry Huang. I'm a playwright and head of playwriting at Columbia University School of the Arts. And this is the Playwrights panel for the 2020 School of the Arts International Play Reading Festival. When Carol Becker, uh, Dean of the School of the Arts, and I co-founded this festival, we were really struck by the paucity of non-English plays available to New York audiences and U.S. audiences. Um, you know, I've started each of the listening parties with basically the same spiel, uh, which includes the remark that U.S. theater can be dangerously myopic. And, you know, U.S. theater has never been good at acknowledging and presenting non-European or American plays. But nowadays, we mostly don't get plays from Europe either. Um, if you think about uh, even the Western theatrical history uh, and canon, that would mean excluding playwrights like Strindberg, Ibsen, Chekhov, Perandello, Dario Fo. So, you know, what are we missing now? So founding the International Playwriting Festival was our way of addressing this problem in our corner of the world. And this year, because of the pandemic, um, the festival has had to go virtual. And so we have, are presenting three amazing plays by living contemporary authors from around the world, um, but not live in our space in Colombia at Lenfest Center for the Arts, but as podcasts, which has some challenges, but also makes the festival this year truly international because they can be accessed and listened to and enjoyed by audiences all around the world. So we have the three playwrights of these wonderful pieces with us today to talk about their work. The first we, piece we presented was Rara Marie Dreams, um, a play about a kidnapping, murder, justice, redemption, set among the Raramuri, or indigenous people, of northern Mexico. And it was written by Camila Viegas from Mexico. Um, Camila studied economics and lived for a couple years with the Tarahamuras, the indigenous people of northern Mexico, and that caused her to redirect her career towards theater. Her plays have been presented in Portugal, Spain, the US, Chile, and Canada. Our second play is Taxi Radio by the Thai playwright Nopan. Um, it's a fever dream of a stormy night in Bangkok as seen through the eyes of traffic, taxi drivers, and passengers. Um, Nopan translated the play himself, and he's a Thai citizen who spent 13 years living in London, then returned to Bangkok to pursue a career in acting. And along the way, he caught the playwriting bug. And now, 13 years later, he's created 15 productions that reflect upon contemporary issues of the human condition. Um, no pen is with us this morning. The third play is May 35th by the Hong Kong playwright Candice Chong Mui Nam. And it's about a couple grappling with a memory, an elegy, uh, the desire to gain justice for a lost child, and centering around the events that we in the West think of as Tiananmen Square. Candace has won the Best Artist Award in Drama from the Hong Kong Arts Development Center, um, and she's the winner of six Hong Kong Drama Awards for Best Script. Uh, the Cantonese language version of May 35th uh, swept the Hong Kong Drama Awards earlier this year in 2020. Um, she and I have known each other for a long time. We've worked together on a couple projects. She was my translator on my play, 
Chinglish, and I helped with the translation on her play, Wild Boar. So please welcome Candace Chong Mui Nam. So um, let's start by talking about, uh, first of all, like we're, just tell us where you're joining us from, um, and also the origin stories of these plays. Like, how were they created? Uh, were they written, you know, just completely written? Were they devised? To what extent were they rewritten? What's your process? Um, and let's start with Camila. Hi. Hi, David. Hi, everybody. Hey. Um, well, I'm joining us, I'm joining you from Mexico. Uh, and uh, specifically, Raramuri Dreams, all my plays are written from different, like, they, ha they all have different processes. But uh, regarding Raramuri Dreams, uh, as you said at the beginning, I lived for two years uh, up in the, in the Sierra Madre, in the northern mountains of Mexico, where these indigenous communities live. And that, in my experience, living, them, living with them, um, it was a turning point in my life. Not just because I redirected my career towards theater, but because I understood that there were different uh, ways of looking at the world and understanding uh, society and understanding. So um, the seed was planted there to write about them and to write something about them. Uh, the stories of Jacinto and Nicolasa, they're both, um, they come from real stories. Uh, so they're mixed with, uh, they have a, a, a huge component of, of, of reality, of some actual facts and then some are just you know <laughs> my imagination but uh and that's and that's how it's, i at first they were short stories and then they turned out to be two monologues and finally uh they i with the help of the director i was working at the time his name is alberto lobnitz i interwove we we made them like we, we made them into one single story or one play and that's, that's the way we ended up with the Raramuri Dreams, or, or as it's called in Spanish, Jacinto Nicolasa. But it made me, I think, I was compelled to write about these people and, 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 and to, to write these stories. And that's the process uh, of Raramuri Dreams, basically. Yeah, thank you. Um, Nopan, how did, uh, how did this play come about? Um, okay, it's gonna, originally, uh, uh, full fat theater. My my theater group wanted to make a play about um, taxi taxi cab rides. So we have a had we had a member um, who was writing about these um, taxi cab rides where he was the driver. So so we accumulated these stories, and um, well for me as the, the the writer and director, we I felt like you know it, there wasn't enough substance in these stories. So we kind of put a break on it, and then. I looked into the idea of like uh, taxis and how we um, how we use taxi rides. You know, all classes would use a taxi, right? No matter who you are, what 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 class you are, or what age, what sex. At one point, you would use a taxi, and there are so many stories happening in taxi rides. I started writing the story, but there was so much. When I was writing Taxi Radio, I didn't realize what, what was happening was um, all the collective thought within me uh, from living in Thailand for like, I don't know, 10 years was pouring out into the story. So I didn't realize it because there were four stories happening. Basically, as a writer, I, w I couldn't stick to one story and I couldn't, I, couldn't try to, I couldn't try to relate all four stories together. So I kind of felt like, well, maybe they don't, they don't relate. You know, we don't relate as a society anyway, right? Except for your own bubble of like, I don't know, hmm. social structure. Um, so I suppose I just kept all the stories separate and maintained the integrity and the point of each um, character. So there being, being four main characters. And then I found out like, without trying to uh, connect them all together, like how do these four stories connect? I, I didn't try that. I just know you just do your own thing. They're all telling their own story at the same time. And somehow it kind of connected. Structurally, did you rearrange the stories or did you just kind of let them you know what, David? I wrote it like that, like line by line. I didn't re-edit it. 
I was like being four people at the same time because there were so many views and many, so many backgrounds in Bangkok, well, through my eyes anyway. So there wasn't much um, personal um, commentary, you know what I mean? Like it was just like an observation. So through like uh, so, so many characters. And uh, I think my, my favorite character was probably the, the goddess because mm. none of us speaks for the gods. But so we ask so much from them. We mm. ask so much from them, but you know, we have so much expectation from them, but nobody really speaks to them in a kind of like, you know, straightforward kind of view. So it was fun for me to write her story because I think even if you're a goddess, you would have a father and a mother. You know, so, so, you know, you would have family issues too. So we're all, we're all the same, right? So, yeah. So that's what, that, it was fun. It was challenging for the audience. Like, what's going on here? Why, why are there four stories going, being taught at the same time? And, and then they get it up, you know, they get it. And it was, and it was great. Yeah. So new experience for me as a writer as well. So presumably the goddess stuff, um, you know, did not come out of research, but the rest of it did. Um, it was research, research while I was going along. Because I kind of, I, I, knew, I knew who she was, but I wanted to like put a, like kind of an image for mm-hmm. who her father, her mother would, could, could be, not, not who they are. I didn't, you know. Uh, um, yeah, there was research and a slight research, but um, I think that's a collective thought for humans and, and gods. I think, I think that's where it lies, like family. And, and, and I suppose that the, the, the simplest or the keyword sentence is, the social structure that we designed and we, and we, we designed for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Great. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me go back to Camila for a moment. In terms of, again, this question of research, I think, is interesting. And certainly this play for you came about because you, you, know, you, you were living with the, the indigenous people for a couple of years. And you're saying that these stories are... Um, derived from things that you learned and are these was is it one of these things where you took a lot of different stories and sort of made a composite of them or are these two characters based on particular individuals or the the, all the characters based on uh, particular individuals I guess all of the above David Uh, yes I these stories were told to me many many of well all of these stories uh, and they're they're a mixture of all of the sto- of all of the studies of, of the stories. Uh, yes, both characters are sort of. Uh, they're also a mix of of all the characters and all the people I met. Um, Jacinto, no, I, I can think of Jacinto and think of a couple of uh, Raramuri men, no, that that were that are that that were the the you know the essence inspiration mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the inspiration for Jacinto same as Nicolasa in fact Nicolasa um yeah I have I, I even I even got mothered the uh the son of one of the Garamori women who, who we became friends and so Nicolasa is totally inspired on her her name is Chelina right so and and I think yes in terms of research it was sort of empirical research I would say because uh it comes from my experience. And I was able, because Raramuri dreams, um, it's not only the stories, but uh, it, that was one of the challenges in translation. And I, I think you, that was discussed yesterday, to keep the musicality and to keep the rhythm and to keep, uh, because when I, when I wrote it, I, it's not written in correct Spanish. The, the words are arranged, so, so the, Characters speak as Raramuri people speak Spanish with this musicality that that it's um, that comes from from them speaking as the main language uh, Raramuri, right? So so I I don't think I would have I would have been able to accomplish that if I hadn't been there for for as long as I I was because it, it's just you know it's, it's it's basically music, you know, how it sounds, how, how the cadence of the, of, the, of the language. And so, so that's one big part, I think, of the, of the play. 
in terms I, of in terms of research. Yes, thank you. So, uh, Candice, you were. I think I'm going to go back to the original question for you, and um, you're starting to talk about June fourth. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, in so uh, in 1989. So uh, last year marked the 30th anniversary of the of the Tiananmen Square massacre, and then in Hong Kong we have a theater group called June Fourth. Uh, stage June fourth, and then they uh, in the past ten years they have been doing play about June fourth every year, but the, this this year we tried uh, last year we tried to make the the name of the play in a different way because in in mainland China is impossible to search for June fourth is not allowed to if you put six and fourth. On some sensitive dates, you cannot, you, you can't even do this research. So the way they uh, try to try to write about it is to put it as May thirty fifth. So I have to differentiate in Hong Kong because in the because we were once the uh, uh, British colony, we 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 experience quite differently, no matter education or any other aspect. So it, it, uh, we, we, we have the freedom to talk about June 4th openly. But uh, only la- last year when, when, when we put on the play, we just wanted to make, it, um, do, make the title more interesting. So we put May 35th because it inspires people to think, why put May 35th instead of June 4th? So. Um, And Kenneth, what's what's your process on this? You um, you just start at the beginning and you write it through. Do you develop it with actors? Um, How do you work? Um, I I love doing research on the the topics that I explore. So uh, concerning June uh, display, actually we have numerous. We have a lot of. uh, news, uh, video, and uh, you know old news, and then. But I also interviewed some reporters who went to uh, Tiananmen Square back to thirty years ago, and uh, I also managed to make a trip to Beijing to interview some uh, of the victims' family, who were the member, uh, who are the member of the uh, Tiananmen Square Mother Organization. Uh, these people are closely, uh, what should I say, um, watched by the government officers. But uh, some somehow we managed to meet in the hotel and uh, and spend some time together and get uh, in get an interview. So, so would you say that some of the stories in May thirty fifth uh, similarly are based on? Um, the, the research that you did, the story, the conversations you had, the meetings you had in Beijing. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, even though the characters, the the, the the characters in the play, uh, were not real person, but uh, a lot of the details are based on the um, on the different cases from the books and from the interviews. Yes. Clearly, we, you know, this, it's fun to be on a Zoom call together. It's fun to see all your faces, um, but it would have been more fun for us to have been, been in New York together and gotten to have some meals and hung out and have, you know, have drinks and stuff like that. Um, so the uh, challenge this year was to uh, present these plays uh, as podcasts, and I think that they've... Uh, the shows have all really risen to the challenges as well as the directors and the production teams uh, that have put these together. But I just want to ask you because, you know, therefore there's like multiple challenges this year, not only in terms of translation, which the translation panel talked about uh, wonderfully yesterday, uh, including Nopan, um, so you've got the translation issue. You've got just the general kind of international audience issue. Like, what does it mean to take this play and present it for, for an international audience? And then you have the podcast issue. Um, so it's, I, I think things are particularly challenging this year, but I'd love to know 
um, from you all, like what, you know, what was hard about it? What was good about it? Did you learn anything uh, uh, about your plays from having to do this? I think there's this always, like I tend to believe in the, in the cultural sense that the more specific you are, the more universal you are, but you know, there may be limitations to that. So I'd love to know how you feel about that question. Cool. Uh, uh, no, Pan, you just went, uh, so you get to go first. Great. Um, the podcast was a great idea, I think, because the, the, the content stays online and, and anybody can jump into it. And um, for me as a playwright, I, I, it gives me like a, uh, like a window to like uh, adjust, uh, edit the scripts for a, a different kind of format. Um, I don't know how it is in other places, but living here in Bangkok, when you do a, a performance or a theater performance or a production, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of have to like, uh, um, communicate in a very clear way from the beginning, from the get go, from the poster, from the, from the communication, from the everything, you know, it's, it's all about, it's not, I'm not saying it's all about marketing. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, um, the, 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 the key word is like the communication. What do you want to communicate? Who do you want to communicate with? So when we, when we set that goal for ourselves, how do we communicate it? You know what I mean? Like, so how does this content, this, this production, this story, how does it communicate on this platform? And, you know, so for me as a playwright or a theater maker, I try to cater to that whatever format or whatever the challenge is because I want the content or I want the story to get through to as many people as I, as we can, because that's the whole point of it, you know? Um, so when it, when it's, when it comes to like, yeah, let's do the podcast. I'm like, great, let's go, let's do it. You know? So, um, I think it worked out great, but, uh, to reflect upon the situation of, of, of theater making in, in general, because I think that's, yeah. I think yeah, that's we could the, yeah. we could do that, sure. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that's the whole I, that's the whole like the that's the that's the hope the hope that we got from this situation. We could we we should, like you said, David, we could have been great if we could hang out, but we couldn't because of the situation, right? So, but that affects everywhere else too, meaning also theater. So, so that's when the idea of making um, I, I guess how to adapt to that kind of situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's where I, I, we we learn as full fat theater. We learn how to like uh, how do we continue making productions? You know, how do we still get people to come and like uh, consume <laughs> consume uh, theater or like these stories that that are available to them and it's safe? You know, so we we found our platform basically, but that's, we don't have to talk about that right now. But um, I think the podcast is a great idea. It's a great idea, and and then and it stays. It's right there, access, and it's. It's like, in, I was going to say infinity, but not really. It's like you can just, you can access it wherever you are in the world, basically. Great. Yeah. Um, Camila, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, having I, to I, translate so many ways. I mainly agree with what Open said. Um, I'm, I'm very excited about the, the idea of, of having uh, my play and our plays available anywhere in the world. And, and so many people that I think would not you know wouldn't be hearing our stories otherwise so that's the upside of 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 not having the the so so vital fact of presence right uh, of course uh, it's a shame you know um not being there but 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 i'm i'm very happy and and i'm, I'm really know of how 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 these three plays worked as i listened to all of them um and and do you feel that there's stuff that you was there stuff that you changed for either the podcast form or for uh, presenting it internationally? Yes, for for the international version. Uh, in fact, we added uh, a previous scene, like a prologue, because we we felt it was necessary to locate the story because it's so specific. It's even specific for, for people in Mexico. People in Mexico City would not understand well where this is located and how, the, how, the, how this world functions. Because it's, it's, an, it's such a different approach to, to, to society and justice and uh, 
but in English, in the English version, so many things weren't clear uh, that we had to add like a small uh, scene to locate. So that's that that's the so so the play changed in that matter. And yes, as we were rehearsing for the podcast, we also did change some things because it, it didn't they didn't make the sense uh, without the visual support. So. There were small changes, but we did have to, to, to adjust. You know, when you presented the play in Mexico, where, where did you, where have you, where has it been performed? Where did you do it? And how was the cultural response based on the audience, if you did it, assuming you did it in multiple places? Yes. Uh, well, in Mexico, it's funny. It, it helps a lot that the characters are dressed uh, as, with the traditional clothes of uh, mm. the Raramuri people. So that, that, that basically locates and the, the, adjusts, I would say, the imagination of the audience to see wh- where we're standing. Uh, and uh, in, well, this is a, the play, Raramuri Dreams, is a play about justice, or I, I'd say injustice, you know, and the, the impossibility of, of, of justice through law. Uh, and I think that that is uh, common uh, thing in all of our all of my country. It's not just the, the it's just not just in Chihuahua where the Ramuri people live, but also in Mexico City, but also in Yucatan, all throughout the country. So people relate to that story because they 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 have lived it in in different in different ways, and and it is the experience of Ramuri dreams has been great. Uh, for me as a playwright because people come back and, and they see the play one, like over and over and over again and they bring you know the, no they 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 bring their, their their mother and then they go back and bring the friend so because and and, and it, it tells because it's telling us uh, it, it's moving something that really hurts you know the, which is the injustice in in in, in our country uh, when i when i heard panda's play uh, i thought about uh, Nicolasa a lot. I thought um, I, I thought about my I thought Nicolasa's character is has this thing about um, her son. No, it's funny. No, that I found these similarities and in, in the need to get the justice for 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 her son, right? And I think I think just like you said, I mean, it's very specific, but it turns out to be universal. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you. Um, Candace, um, have you changed anything or, uh, in order to try to make the uh, play translate for an international audience? Or um, what challenges or advantages did you find from this form? I think uh, we didn't change ma- many lines. We just uh, cut some of the stage direction and to make it uh, short and just enough for the audience know what's uh, happening. And then we focus more on the dialogues. And, and to be honest, I'm very impressed because I, I also listen to the other two uh, playwrights' works and then I find three very different style. And then uh, some of the, uh, uh, like Rarami, sorry. Uh, the the name is uh, Rara Murray Dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 sound effect is very. It it brings me to a, another another world. that is very dreamy at the same time, um, uh, very real. And then and then the I, I like the rhythm of the taxi radio. Uh, the songs and the, that that kind of busy city, and then I I enjoy uh, I enjoy all uh, three, and then so I I I think you guys are, are really amazing. I mean, theater people are very flexible and creative in like changing the the situation into uh, something possible, and then I I, I got to it, it, it I I don't know if we of course we, I will enjoy. A lot if we meet each meet each other in person and then we can talk over drinks. But uh, I also wonder if um, if we do it in that way, maybe we won't have the link to send to other people, and so they 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 can 
enjoy all three plays uh, by listening to the play. And then maybe I'm, because I'm a theater person, so I, even I've never watched uh, the other two playwrights work, but by listening to the dialogues and the stage direction, I can imagine uh, very vividly uh, how it would look like in theater. And, and I, I want to see the real performance. And, and then this is important. It, it, it reminds me of the beauty of the theater. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one thing that's interesting about May 35th is it seems to me that contextually, if you do this show for an international audience or particularly an American audience, American audiences tend to be kind of familiar with Tiananmen Square more mm -hmm. than maybe certainly mainland audiences, but I'm, I don't know about it in Hong Kong. So, you know, what are some of the kind of challenges that you face in terms of putting uh, putting May 35th on in Hong Kong? I think um, because we do two runs, we, we did two runs. And the first run is in May when we really do it for the memory of the, the, the anniversary of the, the, the masquerade. But then the second run is in July where at that time in Hong Kong, we've already have a, like a, uh, uh, the social movement happening. Uh, when, when we were doing performance in the theater, we see police, um, police car run, running towards some way, and then we know that there are two tear gas, and then we worry about the young people's lives uh, protesting against the government. We are afraid that uh, history will repeat. So uh, at the very beginning, we, uh, we really worried that whether we will find the connection with the modern audience with the incident 30 years ago. But then we realized that it actually, we can relate very well with this incident. And then I would say that because we know that incident so well, that we, a lot of Hong Kong people, when social movement like this happened, we run to, to the street to protect the young people because we know what is the worst thing to happen. So, um, so we, we, we have no difficulty um, relating to the, to, to the play, I, I would say. Thanks. Um, it's interesting when you, the three of you, talk about the different connections between these works. Um, Camila, what you were talking about in terms of the mother seeking justice for her son. Um, and I know that there is... Um, it, it, the relationship right now between Thailand and um, Hong Kong in terms of um, young people in the streets. And I don't know to what extent, I know this is a podcast going to be recorded. I don't know to what extent you can um, talk about uh, conditions in your country right now, but if you want to say anything about what's going on and how it relates to the plays that you've written. I just want to give you that opportunity before we go into questions from the audience. Okay. Uh, hello. Okay. Um, I suppose my, my, my best I could do as, as, a, as a citizen here is, is just to reflect on what's really, what's happening. I can't, I'm not, I can't really say what's really happening because um, to be honest, there's so many things going on, right? Um, I myself, I'm a very cynical person, but that's not the point. The point is, okay, so there's protests for democracy, for the junta government to step down and, you know, you know, to, you know, for people can vote, who can be their uh, prime minister and government. So, so that, as simple as that sounds, that's, that's, that's the idea right now. To reflect on Candice, when, when you say, when you say like, uh, you see what's happening on TV and you want to run outside when you see young people protesting. You don't want to, you, you kind of had that nostalgia of like Tenement Square happening again. Well, I guess as we share the same history because I think, I'm not sure uh, how the adults feel about young people protesting, even though if there's their own kids. But the access to information is so wide right now. You don't even have to be a parent to know what happened in the past. You can be, I don't know. Yeah, you can be anybody and you know what happened in the past. It's so clear and vivid because you can just click on it. 
So uh, we don't want that to happen either. So, but it's, it, look, it looks like it would happen, but that, that's not the point. The point is we want to run outside and stop our kids being hurt. So I think, I think to, 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 be, to make it less more dramatic, why would our kids be hurt? Why would they be hurt for speaking or voicing what they want? So to reflecting on Camila, like the injustice, you know, on, on whatever level you want to take it to. I mean, yeah, so that's, that's, I guess that's the struggle because that's just the scene. That's just the idea of the scene. It's just a bunch of people calling for democracy. And, but underneath all that, there's many other layers of like, uh, of what's been instilled in us as a nation, you know, as a nation, as beliefs, as, you know, I believe something, my dad believes something, his dad believes something. If they all connect, that's great. If they don't, then you kind of, you kind of, you could, you could be homeless. So, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it goes deep and um, yeah, but to be, to scope it down yeah, they just want, they just want uh, a platform where they can vote. Yeah. Whatever well, that means in this country. Yeah. Here in America, we're certainly struggling with um, trying to preserve our yeah. democracy also. Exactly. And we yeah. have been yeah. Yeah. Uh, having um, uh, civil uh, right. movements and right. uh, protests, peaceful right. protests um, about racial reckonings as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. happening all over. In terms of how I, I think Mexico's situation relates to um, No Fence and Canvas Play, uh, of course, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of manifestations as well here because, uh, and I, in particularly regarding Candace Play, uh, there's this mother looking to preserve the memory of, 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 of her son. Uh, and I, I couldn't help but think about all the, all the mothers here searching uh, that go out basically to dig in the dirt and find, find the, the remains of all these missing uh, people in Mexico now, because we're talking about over 40,000 disappear, disappearing, many of them uh, are forced disappearances by the government. Uh, and the government does nothing. And sometimes it prohibits uh, the, the, the mothers and the, and, and the fathers to go and search for, the, for their kids. Uh, so I thought, so I, I, could, I could see a bit of, of what's going on in my country in Canada's in, in, in play and also uh, in Northland's play, the manifestations and the people you know, gathering for justice and, and the goddess. And how they sometimes, you know, they, they, they just relay on, on, on the gods to make everything better. But, but now that you have to go out and, and I don't know. Uh, I think it's important also to, I, I thought it was important also to, to bring this up here. Yes, thank you. Um, I want to move on to audience questions. But um, also, since we've been talking so much about the podcast, just acknowledge uh, the, uh, some of the creative team members uh, on Raramuri that was translated by Daniel Haquez and directed by Opalanyatet um, and Taxi Radio Nopan uh, translated himself uh, directed by Aya Ogawa uh, dialect coaching and culture coaching by Nana Dakin and May 35th uh, translated by Anonymous and directed by Lee Silverman. So um, let's go to some of the audience questions. Um, how did you know this story was a play as opposed to a novel or short story, etc.? Camila, I think yours is yeah. different. So why don't you start? Yeah, well, I didn't know because my, uh, the story of Jacinta was first a short story. And then, I, and, and then I don't know how it evolved into being a monologue. So at the beginning, I didn't know whether it was meant to be narrative or theater. So I found out on the way. Same as Camila, I think, yeah. Sometimes as a writer, you don't know. You, had, you have an idea of something, you're trying to do it, you can't do it. <laughs> you find something else along the way and you think, yeah, this, this works better. Exactly. You, you just have to accept it. Stop forcing yourself to make it something you can't make it into. <laughs> so you just, yeah, it's going to be this thing now. So just, yeah. Went along with it, yeah. Candace, do you Sometimes. write short stories? 
Uh, I don't write short stories, or no. I, I don't either. But, I only but, do plays. Yeah, but but sometimes it, I will come. Uh, 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 there's a idea that I feel like, oh, it can be a musical. This can mm. be an opera, or this can be a TV instead of a play. That, uh, I sometimes I feel like um, for writing play, I I always uh, look into some uh, in sophistic, sophisticated psychological. Com- complication that I, I, I think is easier to turn into play or more interesting to turn into play. But if there's a lot of up and downs and, and then I would try to think, or if the story is very simple, sometimes I think maybe it's good for opera or musical. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's just, yeah, I do have, I have that struggle as well, but only on scripts because I don't do any other form. Um, another of our viewers asks, when did you realize your plays were finished or ready for an audience? What was that moment like? I think that my keyword is deadline. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, you can't do this by tomorrow, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, to be on a serious note, I kinda, we, we kind of sent it out there and we, we checked for the, for the audience, um, I don't know, um, like response, like vibe. And, and you, can't, you know, when you put a play out, you, when you when you write it yourself, you kind of you can tweak it and you can change it for the better, or you can take out, take it, take take stuff out to make it better. So yeah, I'm I'm very bad with deadlines. I always got calls from F one, and then when are you yeah, going my, to hand in your script? But my team hates me. Yeah, very good. yeah, deadline is very <laughs> good, and then uh, and then I especially uh, like the reading because the reading you have the pressure from all the actors as well. So. We don't have to send it earlier for them to prepare. We just right. read it, co-read it. So uh, I remember when I was writing for the uh, May 35th, I think the last scene, I wrote it in two, two hours. So, wow. um, so, yeah, sometimes it just, when everything just go, yeah, it's rushing for deadline, sometimes it's good. But if uh, after the reading, I think it's not good, then we can still have time to... Um, we write it, so the first draft is always under pressure. Yeah, I have yeah. to say, I don't, I don't think my work is ever done. I just, I, I like the saying that, you know, plays are never finished, they're abandoned. Like at some point, you just have to stop. Yeah, it's good enough and that's it, right? Yeah, and then a lot of times I go back to stuff years later and rewrite it, so... What are you currently working on or what would you like to work on in the future? So I'm currently working on two things. I'm working with uh, a families in search of their disappeared family members. So I've been working on this project for a long, long time. But to me as a playwright, it raises ethical issues. Because these stories that I'm going to tell, um, how, how will I tell them? Well, within an ethical frame. So I've been working on this for a long, long time. Um, so it's more of a memory thing and justice thing as well, like Jacinto Nicolasa. And I'm working on a children's play um, that talks about uh, violence within families. So, so I'm, I'm working on these two plays as, as we speak. Uh, I'm working on a puppet show. I met uh, an artist who made beautiful puppet, and then uh, so I'm trying something new to write a simple, hopefully a simple story with interesting characters and see them doing puppet show. And I'm also working on the. Uh, we we want to make it into a musical. It's called the Last Church. It's about the tearing down of the churches in uh, mainland China. So, um, yeah, it's, it's about religion. I, I think it's about religion and faith hmm. and then uh, the freedom of having religion. For us, for Full Fat Theatre, we've been um, exploring. We did a, pl- a project as, uh, recently and it, it went very well. It was a single audience uh, experience for, for the audience for the, to, to, to uh, how to say, um, support the social distancing situation. Um, and, and we found like we wanted to, you know, ex- extend or expand that experience for audiences um, soon. So the next project is going to be a single audience type of experience. 
um, and, and, and some immersive, uh, immersive, immersive plays as well. Uh, uh, reflecting upon like no, no sorry, meaning like you gotta check on the on the situations of the you know the COVID nineteen as well, right? So, um, but but I think uh, to reflect upon the the, the situation, sorry, this experience of the podcast that we've had a chance to 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 make and share together. I think I think what sparked my 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 inspiration um, was to um, how to say um, re-edit. Uh, so what you said right before, just like a few minutes ago, David, about when we, you know you're writing a play and it doesn't go anywhere, and you kind of have to let it die. So I've been struggling with with two plays. I've I've done it. I've written it. It's been it's been staged. It's been done. But you know, I want I want it to communicate on a on a wider level. So because I'll, now the the availability or the access is is you know anybody can access it now, right? So so I think I want to focus on that as a play as a play maybe. In a in a read in in the form that we just read it, you know. So so you can just open it and you can read it. And um, as a writer, like, how do I step out from the culture that I live in? You know what I mean. And uh, maybe not 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 the limitation because I I speak English. I read you know English literature or whatever. It it gives me that 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 advantage. You know, you can say to to communicate with the language. But still, I think uh, with all us three, four here, I think what we communicated was uh, on. We share a collective thought. You know what I mean? From from I don't know what, from injustice, from social disruption. <laughs> I don't know. From family. I don't know. So we have we, but we definitely share it, and it and it resonates in all of the scripts and all of the stories we we we. We we've written and been podcast out there, so I think that that platform is very interesting for me to 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 communicate, you know. So because you know, you, to be honest, you make theater and you I don't know how many people you get in per run, you know, and it's local, you know what I mean? It's local, so you you know. But on a wide on a worldwide level, if someone can like you know, I, I think that's great. I think that's like wow, that's something I never looked at before. So. Mm. So I think that's just that's just that's great. That's just like yeah, something I can really put my focus on, and and and, and yeah, and write yeah. We have a question: How did you arrive at playwriting, and how has that journey influenced the way that you write plays? Camila, I think your story is really interesting because you didn't start as an artist. Yeah, no, I didn't. I I always liked writing, so I thought I did, but I never thought of myself as a writer. And then, and then, I don't know, at one point, I decided that was what I wanted to do, write. But I, I didn't realize that I wanted to write theater. What, I'm a playwright because first, I love writing. But then I love the community element of, of theater, the collectiveness of theater. Uh, so I couldn't see myself as a novelist, just writing my novel in my room. Um, I want to have people like I want to participate in the in the in the collective creation of, of, of things and, and that's what theater is. So that's why I write theater and that's why I'm a, I'm a playwright and not a novelist or or a poet. <laughs> no. I started, I started out as an actor, yeah. And I just I just wanted to tell a story and I just pick up the notebook and start typing. And um, I always put the audience first, meaning me, me as the audience. What would I? Or what do I want them to see? And realistically, what do I? What are they seeing? What are they hearing? So it's like a kind of a hat you put on, director and the audience, I and your audience. So, so I don't know. Um, Nepen, did you did you act when you were in the UK and then start writing in Thailand, or you just started? You didn't. No. Yeah. I went. I went. I lived in the UK for thirteen years. I went back to Thailand when I was twenty-four to be an actor. Did some acting, wasn't satisfied, and then went into theater. Great, happy, but the roles don't come when you want it to. So what do you do? You so I started writing, and thirteen years later, I wrote like I don't know ten scripts, and um, and and then and then you kind you kind of you kind of scope your uh your style of writing or your style of plays to a to a certain kind of I I don't know how to say it, attitude I suppose like you you kind of want you kind of want the audience to receive a certain kind of experience. You have a story, so how do you execute this? How do you deliver this story? How do you present this story? 
there's so many ways. You know, there's so many ways. So for me, I have, I, I suppose I can say this, I have the freedom of not being burdened of, of data making, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I have, I have actors, I have stage, and then I go in there, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's see how we can tell, I can tell the story. And it's, to be honest, it wasn't looked at through the eyes of a theater maker. So it was film, it was poetry, it was music, it was everything that's available to, to each of their own. So, so it was fun. It was so much fun. I think that's the whole idea. It was so much fun. I enjoyed making it. I enjoyed people laughing, coming to the show. They enjoyed it. And that was it. It was just so much fun. And let's, let's see. If it's not fun, I'm not doing it. So, <laughs> so you know, it was, it was not fun. If you're not having fun, then why do you expect the audience to have fun too? In, 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 unless you're making a drama or something. So, yeah. So, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm catering to the audience or not, but I'm, act, I'm definitely, I'm a, I'm, de- I'm a storyteller, which the platform I chose is, is theater. Candice. Gosh, I, we met, what, 12 years ago when you were writing plays then. How, how did you get started writing plays? I started at uh, high school when we were doing school production. It's, it was the first time I, 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 I became a playwright to write uh, only 20 minutes play for my, for my classmate. And I really enjoyed it. From, I've never realized that I enjoyed writing dialogue so much. And then and then it started to ring my bell. And then and then when we study English literature, we study Tennis Williams, uh, my glass, uh, what glass, glass menagerie. Glass menagerie. Yes, it is glass menagerie. And then I think I was stuck by the beauty of the, the of the script. And then that was the time I started to think, oh, oh, I want to write plays. I want to be a playwright. I think. And then I, I share a lot of uh, similar idea with Camilla. I, I, I like the collectiveness of uh, the theater instead of just writing, you know, just writing articles or writing novels. And then every time when I finish a play, I, 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 I will be amused by the, what, what should I say, the chemistry between actors and different um, theater uh, departments. And I, I like that magic. I, I always, impressed by the production not because not because of my own writing but how people um, perceive it and then how people turn it into something better than was written on on paper yeah great so we're we're starting to um run out of time but let me end with one last question from the audience um so given that the, some of you have had plays produced internationally before um, and in one form or another. Um, we've all talked to some extent about how this um, is a, a way to reach people around the globe, the, the sort of the podcast that we've ended up doing this year. And so has that affected reaching a truly international audience? Um, is there's a question, do you have a message or goal or hope in communicating with people from, from around the globe? And a similar question, will you think about the audience or community differently as you write? I think I, I, I don't choose uh, audience to write. I think I, uh, it's similar to Nopal, I, I, I write it like that I'm the audience, what kind of play I want to write. I think it's hard enough to write a good play, so it's it, it's too much for me if I have to imagine uh, what kind of audience I have to write. I just want to write a play that I, as an audience, will enjoy uh, watching. I think that's good enough. And then hopefully, if it speak to other uh, uh, audience of other cultures, that's that's great. Uh, if not, then I, I I entertain myself. I agree with Candace. I just, and, and with no plans, I, I write um, a bit for myself as an audience. And the only time I think of an audience uh, as, uh, different from me is when I'm writing children's plays. Just, I'm, I'm trying to, but I, when I try to imagine myself as a kid, right? I try to be me as the audience. Um, so yeah, I, 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 but it's a good question, I think, David, to, to think uh, now that, that we have the, the possibility of a podcast, uh, how will we write those plays? 
just like in Raramuri Dreams, I added yeah. a, a previous scene. I think it's a good, it's a good thing to keep in mind. Absolutely. For me, uh, to try to kind of answer that question as, as, as helpful as I can, is uh, uh, on a personal level, when I started out writing my like, I don't know, th- three, fourth plays, I don't know, uh, I, found, I found myself uh, trapped. I didn't, know the, I, know, I didn't know it back then, but I knew it now, that you kind of get trapped with, when you're younger, right? You get trapped in a bubble. It's with, you, you, have, you have a certain audience in your mind already. You know what I mean? Your, your friends or your theater friends or whatever. You have like a, yeah, Candice is my, you have like, I don't know, 50 people you're aiming at and, and that's it. And that's for me, that, that for me, like I, ne- I would never get out of that bubble until, I don't know, I, I, had, my, I had my situation where I got out of the bubble and my, my peripheral just changed. Like, oh man, it was so hard to write because I was aiming at 500 people now. I was aiming at 1,000 people now. Like, strangers going to walk in and watch my play and they'll be like, what am I looking at? What am I listening to? You know, I wasn't in that privilege. Like, I'm just going to tell this story to 50 people. That's going to be share my collective thought. That's going to, no, that's like, but for me, I grew. That's, that's when I grew. And then later on, earlier this year, we did a play called Save for Later, which is um, um, a play for who, like, uh, inspire solar, uh, creative, uh, green, sustainable energy. You know, so can you imagine the audience for that? It's everybody. It's everybody, every age, every, every occupation, everything. So how does art, playwriting work for them too? You know, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to write something so artistic and just exclude like, I don't know, 99 people out of 100. And there's like 100, like 1%, 1% that's artistic. So I don't know. That was a great challenge for me because I, I, I stepped out of myself. I got to talk. I got to explain the subject. I've, I've got the, I've got the, how to say, like, uh, my, my, my uh, experience in writing. That's all I have. Not personal issues, not blah, blah, personal taste, but my experience in writing. To communicate this subject for, like, I don't know, 5,000 people, perhaps, I don't know. So that, that, the view changed. So I thought, if you, to answer that question, yeah, for the community, for the, for the people, it, it, it changes. But it changed. Where does it change? I have no idea. You know, you, it, it stepping out of yourself is hard because it's pressure. Like, are they going to understand what I'm, what I'm saying? Is this too? But that's not something you have to worry about. But from my personal experience, it was like, wow, it's like, I got to use what I know to do for other purposes. Yeah. Not, for my, not for the art of theater itself, but for the art of communication. Through my type, through my experience as a playwright. You know what I mean? How do yeah. I use that craft? Yeah, that, that's 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 my that's my yeah my my take on 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 to share for other people here about like community and and the needs. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's you know this I think proves that we would have had some really fun uh, meals together. Um, I love talking with other playwrights about craft, about how we get our work together because there's always stuff that's the same and there's always stuff that's different. Um, so thank you. And, you know, most of all, thank you for letting us like do your plays and the great pleasure of getting to go into your worlds, uh, into your cultures, into your heads and, um, live there for a while has been one of the things that, you know, art and theater and I guess podcasts can do also. Um, And thank you for joining us here today uh, for this talk. Uh, This has been the final event of the 2020 um, International Play Reading Festival from Columbia University School of the Arts. Thanks for joining us for the entire series. And next year, we hope to be back in person um, at LenFest Center for the Arts on uh, the Columbia University campus. But please be aware that if you've missed any of these events or if you haven't gotten to hear the plays, you wanna come back and hear them again. They are now available um, in perpetuity. and <laughs> You can uh, share them uh, across nations and with your friends 
um, and listen to them at your convenience. So thank you for joining us on this journey across the world. Hope to see you in person next year. Thank you for joining us for the final episode of the 2020 Columbia University School of the Arts International Play Reading Festival podcast. While we certainly hope to be together in person for next year's festival, stay subscribed to this podcast. We never know what the future will bring. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here, please like us and maybe write a review to help other folks find the podcast. Of course, you can visit our website for more information about the playwrights or read their work on New Play Exchange. Thanks again to everyone who made this festival possible, most especially Candace Chong Muinam, Nopan, and Camila Viegas. Stay safe, make art, and we'll see you one way or another in 2021. This episode is copyrighted by the trustees of Columbia University in the city of New York. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.